Hello, wonderful people. How's it going, everybody? Rachel, hi, how's it going? Good to see you. Very good to see you. I love you. I hope you're having a good week. Um, What are you up to? Wow. <laughs> okay, it looks like the, the chat pop-up is working. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some adjustments here. Just see if I can tweak it just a bit. I hope everyone's week is going great. Hey, everybody. I see a couple of people reminiscing about uh, back in back in the good old days when, not the good old days, but uh, back in the old days when this was a very, very small operation, which, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we're still a small group here. It's very small, nice and intimate, but uh, it is funny to already have 18 people sitting in on this before I even sit down. Joseph, Leia, Ashlyn, of course, welcome back. Julia, welcome back. Mariah, hello, welcome to the live stream. Dark Wolf, Michelle, welcome back. B, welcome back. A lot of people, see, I love this. Nikki, a lot of people, a lot of names that I recognize um, from weeks gone by. That's always fun for me. Yeah, Ashlyn was saying, God, your channel has grown fast. I remember when it was less than 100. Yeah, now I'm at 700 plus. That's always fun, right? That's pretty cool. I'm excited about it. Julia says, so pumped for this chapter. Let's go Ravenclaws. Lynn says, still haven't listened to last week's. How did it go? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, it could have gone better tech-wise. But uh, I think we got it sorted out near the end there. And ultimately we are back on track and i i do think that uh once we've got a few of the technological kinks worked out this is going to be a an even better setup than before as you can see i've got some some fun new bits and bobs um but uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna try and not let it get distracting oh rachel's got a chat near the bottom i'm going to that i love you so much i have lots and lots of big fish rehearsals tomorrow there's a five hour block of choreography cleanup I'm not there for the whole thing, about 80% of it. I mean, 80% of it is still a lot of it. That's that's still a decent bit of choreography, so good luck to you. Um, are you. How are you feeling about it right now? Yeah, Julie asks the same question. How is the show coming along? I'm curious about it. And uh, General says, hey, y'all, about to go to art therapy, so I'll be late. But love y'all. We love you too, General. See you soon. Kirsten, hi. Who else is in here? If I've missed you, I apologize. Lidlev, hello. Welcome. I got an itchy collar. My collar's all itchy. What has everyone else been doing in this week? B says, we had a tech meeting for the fall play. We started painting the sets. So fun. I loved set painting. Um, I loved a lot of the the, the crews uh, when I was doing theater in school. And uh, I, think, I think building was where I felt like I could be the most useful because I was one of the bigger guys involved. Um, one of the bigger humans involved, honestly. And... Uh, so I felt, I felt like I had a little bit more utility there and I had a little bit more experience than some of the others. Um, but painting was a lot of fun because you got to see it suddenly go from 
blank kind of mocked up to use paint to hide all the little crimes, hide all the, the accidents and everything. And uh, suddenly it looks like something else. In my favorite case, we, we, uh, we raked the stage, which means uh, we changed it from a flat stage to a stage that tilted toward the audience. The audience would be out here and uh, it tilted up like this. And so uh, we built you know, a platform up on top of the stage, which raked it. And um, then on top of that, built the a facade of a, a house. And uh, watching that come along was fascinating. And then the paint went up and it was just incredible. Rachel says, the show is coming along very, very nicely. I'm feeling super good about it. They transformed the lower stage into a dock. Oh, that's pretty cool. Interesting. So right above the pit. It's been a little while, and I'm trying to remember. I think some changes have been made to the, the stage since I was there. Kirsten says, you know, uh, you actually pronounce my name right, and no one does that, so kudos. I assume you get a lot of Kristen. Julie says, I had to move to a new class this week. We'll miss my second grade class. Hmm. All right. Rachel, I'm very glad to hear it's going well. Good luck in your uh, in your choreography marathon. Oh, interesting. Rachel says, yes, right above the pit. So this year, the pit will be on stage. Interesting. Well, you're doing well. I, I love you a lot. And I hope that, uh, yeah, it goes, it goes well for you. I hope... Uh, the, the show is everything that you, you hope it will be. <laughs> and hope, stay hydrated. That's my number one. Stay hydrated. Now, for our typical agenda. Rachel, that sounds like a great plan. That'd be fantastic. For our typical agenda, we are going to do a quick review of what we saw last time on Sidecar Stories. Um, now, not the whole thing, including the, uh, you know, the bits where it didn't go so well. So we'll skip that part and we'll just review the chapter that I read. Um, but I did only read one because we were behind. Um, we read chapter nine, which is titled, let me make sure I get it right, The Woes of Mrs. Weasley. Um, Mrs. Weasley was experiencing some mental distress we had a pretty good discussion about it afterwards, in fact. Um, but there's there's a lot going on in the wizarding world right now. A lot of things that involve danger. Rachel, Rachel just get one of those gallon-sized water bottles. Trust me, they're aces. It's so nice to not have to hike to a water fountain every time. Um, plus, it won't stay quite as cold, but... Super cold water isn't as great for your vocal cords when you're about to sing anyway, so there's, there's my pro tip. Um, Mrs. Weasley is dealing with the stresses that come from being part of a resistance movement. This is a dangerous thing that they're a part of here. The Order of the Phoenix is undertaking a dangerous task. Um, they are... They are taking on people in power and they're having to do so kind of secretly and covertly. And as such, their lives can be pretty dangerous. Now, this seems to be fine with a number of the members. Uh, you know, uh, Sirius Black, the more reckless of the bunch, seems to be just fine with this. You know, he likes kind of the reckless nature of it. But 
he doesn't have much to lose. He's been in prison. He hasn't been out building a life for himself that he could lose. He, unlike Mrs. Weasley, is unaffiliated with most human beings. He's very isolated. Mrs. Weasley, I think, is the perfect person to represent the idea that when you're part of this resistance movement, I think we see it in a lot of books. I've talked about this last week, but we see it in a lot of, of uh, especially young adult books, like dystopic, uh, dystopian fiction kind of sort, kind of stuff. Um, people who are involved in like rebellions, especially if the it's the good guys rebelling against bad guys, we see a lot of people who sort of treat things like they don't have anything to lose. They rush into to danger and they get involved with things that that uh, are very dangerous without seemingly a consideration for what they could lose from it and i think mrs weasley is the voice of that in this series uh she is the one who doesn't want the kids to be involved in this rebellion movement in this in this uh or in the order of the phoenix any more than they have to be don't want them to know uh to you know don't don't, don't want to give them too much information lest they get involved um she wants to protect them and uh i think she very much disagrees with Sirius, who, you know, his his ideas of how this should work, you know, get everyone involved, as involved as possible, keep everyone at the forefront of this, and make sure that we are all as united as we can possibly be, such that we can ensure victory and survival. Um, I think they're both, <laughs> at risk of sounding like a, um, uh, a very flat centrist, um, both of those impulses make sense. I think, I think, you know, Sirius and Mrs. Weasley both have a great idea of what they are fighting for, but they've got very different ideas of how to accomplish that. And uh, that's one of the reasons I love this book so much, and maybe it's the same for you guys, um, but that it discusses that, you know, when you're, you're part of a movement like this, when you're part of a force fighting for good against powerful people trying to do the wrong thing, there can be disagreements within that, and it's important that this group stays together and stays united, even if they disagree. So remember that as we move on, and remember that in your day-to-day -day life. We, uh, we have, and I know I've said this before, but as people trying to do a good thing, we are easy to divide. Let's not be. Stay united. Okay. Now, for anyone who doesn't know what this is, my name is Sam. Hi, this is Sidecar Stories. We are in the middle of a start-to-finish read-through, like almost dead center in the middle, of a start-to-finish read-through of the Harry Potter series. And today we are reading chapters 10 and 11 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Bye, B. See you later. Oh, wait, no, B's not leaving. Mariah's leaving. Bye, Mariah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Rachel, get the, get the big one, get that big old boy, get the, get the gallon size. Cause you can just get one at like a gas station. It'll already be full of water. It's like, it's look, this is top tier strategy. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's good. Then you just keep filling it up. Oh, and drink it like moonshine. That's how you, you gotta remember, you, you gotta hook it on your finger and then get it up onto your arm right there. And you tilt it up like that. <laughs> That's how I did it. Because when you got a gallon of water in there, your fingers don't necessarily want to cooperate to just tilt it up all dainty-like. All dainty-like. <laughs> Sorry, B. 
Okay, so I think we are in a good position to move on. Let us begin with our with our chapter for this week. As usual, if anyone has anything they'd like to discuss, I would love to discuss it too. Go ahead and put it in chat. Love to talk about it. Um, I hope the uh, the audio sounds pretty good today. I've got a couple of filters on there. Apex, welcome to the first stream. Welcome to your first stream. Good to see you. Enjoy. We're about to start reading. Um, yeah, let me know how my audio sounds. I've got a couple of filters on my mic this time that I think are going to help with some of the background noise and some of the uh, the, the peaking audio. But I just want to say I'm very happy to see you guys. And I love doing this. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Let's do this. Let's get a big welcome for Apex. And I think we had, we had one more. Up, uh, maybe it was Mariah. I think she might have disappeared already. That's okay. Miss Rose, that is perfectly fine. Is it Ava or Awa? That's perfectly fine. I recognize there are probably plenty of people who use this stream as an opportunity to gently fall asleep. And to you, two things. First, that's exactly why I st one, one of the reasons I started doing it. So feel free to do so. And B, I apologize for Alistair Moody's voice. Chapter 10 Luna Lovegood Harry had a troubled night's sleep. His parents wove in and out of his dreams, never speaking. Mrs. Weasley sobbed over Creature's dead body, watched by Ron and Hermione who were wearing crowns, and yet again, Harry found himself walking down a corridor, ending in a locked door. He woke abruptly with his scar prickling to find Ron had already dressed and was talking to him. You better hurry up. Mum's going ballistic. She says we're going to miss the train. There was a lot of commotion in the house. From what he heard as he dressed at top speed, Harry gathered that Fred and George had bewitched their trunks to fly downstairs to save the bother of carrying them, with the result that they had hurtled straight into Ginny and knocked her down two flights of stairs into the hall. Mrs. Black and Mrs. Weasley were both screaming at the top of their voices. Could have done her a serious injury, you idiots! Filthy half-breeds besmirching the house of my father's. Hermione came hurrying forward into the room looking flustered, just as Harry was putting his trainers on. Hedwig was swaying on her shoulder. Hmm? That doesn't sound quite right. Oh, yes it does. Hermione was the last one to borrow Hedwig. Hedwig was swaying on her shoulder and she was carrying a squirming crookshanks in her arms. Mom and Dad just sent Hedwig back. The owl fluttered obligingly over and perched on top of her cage. Are you ready yet? Nearly. Is Ginny all right? Harry asked, shoving on his glasses. Mrs. Weasley's patched her up, said Hermione. But now Mad Eye's complaining that we can't leave unless Sturgis Podmore is here, otherwise the guard will be one short. Guard? said Harry. We have to go to King's Cross with a guard? You have to go to King's Cross with a guard. Hermione corrected him. "'Why?' said Harry irritably. "'I thought that Voldemort was supposed to be lying low, or are you telling me that he's going to jump out from behind a dustbin and try to do me in?' "'I don't know. It's just what Mad-Eye says,' said Hermione distractedly, looking at her watch. "'But if we don't leave soon, we're definitely going to miss the train.' 
Will you not get down here now, please? said Mrs. Weasley, bellowing, and Hermione jumped as though scalded and hurried out of the room. Harry seized Hedwig, stuffed her unceremoniously back into her cage, and set off downstairs after Hermione, dragging his trunk. Mrs. Black's portrait was howling with rage, but nobody was bothering to close the curtains over her. All the noise in the hall was bound to rouse her again anyway. Harry, you're to come with me in Tonks, shouted Mrs. Weasley, over the repeated screeches of Mudbloods, scum, creatures of the earth. Oh. Of the dirt. Leave your trunk and your owl. Alistair's going to deal with the luggage. Oh, for heaven's sake, serious. Dumbledore said no. A bear-like black dog had appeared at Harry's side as he was clamoring over the various trunks cluttering the hall to get to Mrs. Weasley. Oh, honestly, said Mrs. Weasley despairingly. Well, on your own head be it. She wrenched open the front door and stepped out into the weak September sunlight. Harry and the dog followed her. The door slammed behind them and Mrs. Black's screeches were cut off instantly. Oh, I love this. I love this. Just imagine that. It's your it's a first day of school on a new year. Um headed back to Hogwarts, it's a big relief, and you step out into that that nice crisp September air. It's a little cold. It's a little cold. It's a it's it's nice and the air feels kind of thin because it's nice and cold. I love it. Where's Tonks? Harry said, looking round as they went down the stone steps of number twelve which vanished the moment they reached the pavement. "'She's waiting for us just up here,' said Mrs. Weasley stiffly, averting her eyes from the lolloping black dog beside Harry. An old woman greeted them on the corner. She had tightly curled gray hair and wore a purple hat shaped like a pork pie. "'Watch her, Harry,' she said, winking. "'Better hurry up, haven't we, Molly?' she added, checking her watch. I know, I know, moaned Mrs. Weasley, tightening her, mm, lengthening her stride. But mad I wanted to wait for Sturgis. If only Arthur could have got us cards from the Ministry again, but Fudge won't let him borrow so much as an empty ink bottle these days. How muggles can stand travelling without magic? <laughs> but the great black dog gave a joyful bark and gambled around them, snapping at pigeons and chasing his own tail. Harry couldn't help laughing. Sirius had been trapped inside for a very long time. Mrs. Weasley pursed her lips in an almost Aunt Petunia-ish way. Linz, I'm in California now, but I was from Iowa. So we got a little bit of it here, but I miss it. I miss it. It took them twenty minutes to reach King's Cross on foot, and nothing more eventful happened during that time than Sirius scaring a couple of cats for Harry's entertainment. Once inside the station, they lingered casually beside the barrier between platforms nine and ten, until the coast was clear. Then each of them leaned against it in turn and fell easily through onto platform nine and three-quarters, where the Hogwarts Express stood belching sooty steam over a platform packed with departing students and their families. Harry inhaled the familiar smell, felt his spirits soar. He was really going back. Oh, I hope the others make it in time, said Mrs. Weasley anxiously, staring behind her at the wrought iron arch spanning the platform, through which new arrivals would come. 
A nice dog, Harry, called a tall boy with dreadlocks. Thanks, Lee, said Harry, grinning as Sirius wagged his tail frantically. Oh, good, said Mrs. Weasley, sounding relieved. Here's Alistair with the luggage. Look. A porter's cap pulled low over his mismatched eyes. Moody came limping through the archway, pushing a trolley loaded with their trunks. All okay, he muttered to Mrs. Weasley and Tonks. I don't think we were followed. Seconds later, Mr. Weasley emerged onto the platform with Ron and Hermione. They had almost unloaded Moody's luggage trolley when Fred, George, and Ginny turned up with Lupin. No trouble, growled Moody. Nothing, said Lupin. I'll still be reporting Sturgis to Dumbledore, said Moody. That's the second time he's not turned up in a week, getting in as unreliable as Mundungus. Well, look after yourselves, said Lupin, shaking hands all around. He reached Harry last and gave him a clap on the shoulder. You too, Harry. Be careful. Yeah, keep your head down and your eyes peeled, said Moody, shaking Harry's hand too. And don't forget, Alia, careful what you put in writing. If in doubt, don't put a letter down at all. It's been great meeting all of you, said Tonks, hugging Hermione and Ginny. We'll see you soon, I expect. A warning whistle sounded. The students still on the platform started hurrying onto the train. Oh, quick, quick, said Mrs. Weasley distractedly, hugging them at random and catching Harry twice. Right, be good. If you've forgotten anything, we'll send it on. Under the train now, hurry. For one brief moment, the great black dog reared on its hind legs and placed its front paws on Harry's shoulder, but Mr. Weasley, Mrs. Weasley shoved Harry away toward the train door, hissing, For heaven's sake, act more like a dog, serious. See you, Harry called out of the open train window as they began to move, while Ron, Hermione, and Ginny waved beside him. The figures of Tonks, Lupin, Moody, and Mr. and Mrs. Weasley shrank rapidly, but the black dog was bounding alongside the window, wagging its tail. Blurred people on the platform were laughing to see it chasing the train. Then they rounded a bend, and Sirius was gone. shouldn't have come with us, said Hermione in a worried voice. Oh, lighten up, said Ron. He hasn't seen daylight for months, poor bloke. Well, said Fred, clapping his hands together, can't stand around chatting all day. We've got business to discuss with Lee. See you later. And he and George disappeared down the corridor to the right. To the right. The train was still gathering more speed, so that the houses outside the window flashed past, and they swayed where they stood. Shall we go find a compartment then? Harry asked. Ron and Hermione exchanged looks. Uh, said Ron. We're, well, Ron and I are supposed to go into the prefect carriage, Hermione said awkwardly. Ron wasn't looking at Harry. He seemed to have become intensely interested in the fingernails on his left hand. Oh, said Harry. Right, fine. I don't think we have to stay there a whole journey, 
said Hermione quickly. Our letter said we just get instructions from the head boy and girl, and then patrol the corridors from time to time. Fine, said Harry again. Well, I... I might see you later, then. Yeah, definitely, said Ron, casting a shifty, anxious look at Harry. It's a pain having to go down there. I'd rather... But we have to. I mean, I'm not enjoying it. I'm not Percy, he finished defiantly. <laughs> I know you're not, said Harry, as he grinned. But as Hermione and Ron dragged their trunks, Crookshanks and a caged pigwidgeon off toward the engine end of the train, Harry felt an odd sense of loss. He had never traveled on the Hogwarts Express without Ron. Come on, Ginny told him. If we get a move on, we'll be able to save them some places. Right, said Harry, picking up Hedwig's cage in one hand and the handle of the trunk on the other. They struggled off down the corridor, peering through the glass-paneled doors into the compartments as they passed, which were already full. Harry could not help noticing that a lot of people stared back at him with great interest, that several of them nudged their neighbors and pointed him out. After he had met this behavior in five consecutive carriages, he remembered that the Daily Prophet had been telling its readers all summer what a lying show-off he was. <sighs> he wondered dully whether people were now staring and whispering and believing the stories. In the very last carriage, they met Neville Longbottom, Harry's fellow fifth-year Gryffindor, his round face shining with the effort of pulling his trunk along and maintaining a one-handed grip on his struggling toad, Trevor. Hey, Harry, he panted. Hey, Ginny. Everywhere's full. I can't find a seat. What are you talking about? said Ginny, who had squeezed past Neville to peer into the compartment behind him. There's room in this one. There's only Looney Lovegood in here. Neville mumbled something about not wanting to disturb anyone. <laughs> Don't be silly, said Ginny, laughing. She's all right. She slid the door open and pulled her trunk inside. Harry and Neville followed. Hi, Luna, said Ginny. Is it okay if we take these seats? The girl beside the window looked up. She had a straggly, waist-length, dirty blonde shock of hair, very pale eyebrows and protuberant eyes that gave her a permanently surprised look. Harry knew at once why Neville had chosen to pass this compartment by. The girl gave off an aura of distinct dottiness. Perhaps it was the fact that she had stuck her wand behind her left ear for safekeeping, or that she had chosen to wear a necklace of butterbeer corks, or that she was reading a magazine upside down. Her eyes ranged over Neville and came to rest on Harry. She nodded. Thanks, said Ginny, smiling at her. Harry and Neville stowed the three trunks in Hedwig's cage in the luggage rack and sat down. Luna watched them over her upside-down magazine, which was called The Quibbler. She did not seem to blink as much as normal humans. She stared and stared at Harry, who had taken the seat opposite her and now wished he hadn't. Have you had a good summer, Luna? Ginny asked. Yes, said Luna dreamily, without taking her eyes off Harry. Yes, it was quite enjoyable, you know. You're Harry Potter, she added. I know I am, said Harry. Neville chuckled, 
Luna turned her pale eyes on him instead. And I don't know who you are. I'm, I'm nobody, said Neville hurriedly. No, you're not, said Ginny sharply. Neville Longbottom, Luna Lovegood. Luna's in my year, but in Ravenclaw. Wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure, said Luna in a sing-song voice. She raised her upside-down magazine high enough to hide her face and fell silent. Harry and Neville looked at each other with their eyebrows raised. Ginny suppressed a giggle. The train rattled onward, speeding them out into open country. It was an odd, unsettled sort of day. One moment the carriage was full of sunlight, and the next they were passing beneath ominous grey clouds. "'Guess what I got for my birthday,' said Neville. "'Another remember-all,' said Harry, remembering the marble-like device Neville's grandmother had sent him in an effort to improve his abysmal memory. "'No,' said Neville. "'I could do with one, though. I lost the old one ages ago. Though, look at this.' He dug the hand that was not keeping a firm hold on Trevor into his school bag, and after a bit of rummaging, pulled out what appeared to be a small grey cactus in a pot, except that it was covered in what looked like boils rather than spines. Bibulous Bibble told ya, he said proudly. Harry stared at the thing. It was pulsating slightly, giving it the rather sinister look of some diseased internal organ. It's really, really rare, said Neville, beaming. I don't know if there's one of the greenhouse at Hogwarts, even. I can't wait to show Professor Sprout. My great-uncle Algy got it for me in Assyria. I'm going to see if I could breathe from it. Harry knew that Neville's favorite subject was herbology, but for the life of him, he could not see what he would want with this stunted little plant. Does it, um, do anything? he asked. Oh, loads of stuff, said Neville proudly. It's got the amazing defensive mechanism. Here, hold Trevor for me. He dumped the toad into Harry's lap and took a quill from his school bag. Una Lovegood's popping eyes came over the top of her upside-down magazine, and... Uh, oh. Luna Lovegood's popping eyes appeared over the top of her upside-down magazine again to watch what Neville was doing. Neville held the Mimbulus Mimbletonia to his eyes, his tongue between his teeth, chose his spot, and gave the plant a sharp prod with the tip of his quill. Liquid squirted from every boil on the plant, thick, stinking, dark green jets of it. They hit the ceiling, the windows, and splattered Luna Lovegood's magazine. Ginny, who had flung her arms up in front of her face just in time, merely looked as though she was wearing a slimy green hat. But Harry, whose hands had been busy preventing Trevor's escape, received a faceful. It smelled like rancid manure. Neville, whose face and torso were also drenched, took his head out to get the worst hmm? Oh, shook his head to get the worst of it out of his eyes. I'm sorry, he gasped. I haven't tried that before. I didn't, oh, didn't realize it would be so... Don't worry, though, stink sap's not poisonous, he added nervously as Harry spat a mouthful onto the floor. At that precise moment, the door of their compartment slid open. Oh, hello, Harry, said a nervous voice. Um, bad time? 
Harry wiped the lenses of his glasses with his Trevor-free hand. A very pretty girl with long, shiny black hair was standing in the doorway, smiling at him. Cho Chang, the seeker on the Ravenclaw Quidditch team. Oh, hi, said Harry blankly. Um, said Cho. Well, I just thought that I'd say hello. Bye then. Rather pink in the face, she closed the door and departed. Harry slumped back into his seat and groaned. He would have liked Cho to discover him sitting with a group of very cool people laughing their heads off at a joke he had just told. He would not have chosen to be sitting with Neville and Looney Lovegood, clutching a toad and dripping in stink sap. Never mind, said Ginny bracingly. Look, we can easily get rid of all this. She pulled out her wand. Scourgeify. The stink sap vanished. I'm sorry, said Neville again in a small voice. Braun and Hermione did not turn up for nearly an hour, by which time the food trolley had already gone by. Perry, Ginny, and Neville had finished their pumpkin pasties and were busy swapping chocolate frog cards when the compartment door slid open, and they walked in, accompanied by Crookshanks and a shrilly hooting pigwidgeon in his cage. <laughs> He's a chimp. He's a chimp now. Good night, Linz. Good night, Apex. Ron and Hermione did not turn up for nearly an hour, by which time the food trolley... Oh, I already read all that paragraph. Oh, I'm starving, said Ron, stowing Pigwidgeon next to Hedwig, grabbing a chocolate frog from Harry and throwing himself into the seat next to him. He ripped open the wrapper, bit off the frog's head, and leaned back with his eyes closed, as though he had had a very exhausting moment. Moment. Very exhausting morning. Well, there are two fifth-year prefix from each house said Hermione, looking thoroughly disgruntled as she took her seat. Boy and girl from each. And guess who's a Slytherin prefect, said Ron, still with his eyes closed. Malfoy, replied Harry at once, certain that his worst fear would be confirmed. Of course, said Ron bitterly, stuffing the rest of the chocolate frog into his mouth and taking another. And that complete cow, Pansy Parkinson, said Hermione viciously. How's she going to be a prefect when she's thicker than a concussed troll? Who's Hufflepuff? Harry asked. Uh, Ernie McMillan and Hannah Abbott, said Ron thickly. And Anthony Goldstein and Padme Patil for Ravenclaw, said Hermione. You went to the Yule Ball with Padme Patil, said a vague voice. Everyone turned to look at Luna, Glove, Luna Lovegood, who was gazing unblinkingly at Ron over the top of the quibbler. He swallowed his mouthful of frog. Um, yeah, I know I did, he said, looking mildly surprised. She didn't enjoy it very much, Luna informed him. She doesn't think you treated her very well, because you wouldn't dance with her. I don't think I'd have minded, she added thoughtfully. I don't like dancing very much. She retreated behind the quibbler again. Ron stared at the cover with his mouth hanging open for a few seconds, then looked around at Ginny for some kind of explanation. But Ginny had stuffed her knuckles into her mouth to stop giggling. Ron shook his head, bemused, then checked his watch. Uh, we're supposed to patrol the corridors every so often, 
he told Harry and Neville. And we can give out punishments if people are behaving. I can't wait to get Crabbe and Goyle for something. You're not supposed to abuse your position, Ron, said Hermione sharply. Oh, yeah, right, because Malfoy won't abuse it at all, said Ron sarcastically. So are you going to descend to his level? No, I'm just going to make sure I get his mates before he gets mine. Oh, for heaven's sake, Ron. I'll make Goyle do lines that'll kill him, he hates writing, said Ron happily. He lowered his voice to Goyle's low grunt and, screwing up his face with a look of pained concentration, mimed writing in midair. Ah, uh, must not look like a baboon's backside. Everyone laughed, but nobody laughed harder than Luna Lovegood. She let out a scream of mirth that caused Hedwig to wake up and flap her win wings indignantly, and Crookshanks to leap up onto the luggage rack, hissing. Luna laughed so hard her magazine slipped out of her grasp and slid down her legs onto the floor. <laughs> that was funny! Her prominent eyes swam with tears as she gasped for breath, staring at Ron. Utterly nonplussed, he looked around at the others, who were now laughing at the expression on Ron's face and at the ludicrously prolonged laughter of Luna Lovegood, who was rocking backwards and forwards, clutching her sides. Are you taking the mickey? said Ron, frowning at her. Baboon's backside? She sh choked, clutching her ribs. Everyone else was watching Luna laughing, but Harry glanced at the magazine on the floor. Noticed something and that made him dive for it. Upside down, it had been hard to tell what the picture on the front was, but Harry now realized it was a fairly bad cartoon of Cornelius Fudge. Harry only recognized him because of the lime-green bowler hat. One of Fudge's hands was clenched around a bag of gold. The other hand was throttling a goblin. The cartoon was captioned, How far will Fudge go to gain Grinkets? Beneath this were listed the titles of other articles inside the magazine. Corruption in the Quidditch League. How the Tornadoes are taking control. Secrets of the Ancient Runes Revealed. Sirius Black. Villain or victim? Can I have a look at this? Harry asked Luna eagerly. She nodded, still gazing at Ron, breathless with laughter. Harry opened the magazine and scanned the index. Until this moment, he had completely forgotten the magazine Kingsley had handed Mr. Weasley to give to Sirius. But it must have been this edition of the Quibbler. He found the page and turned excitedly to the article. This, too, was illustrated. This, too, was illustrated with by a rather bad cartoon. In fact, Harry would not have known it was supposed to be Sirius if it hadn't been captioned. Sirius was standing on a pile of human bones with his wand out. The article on the... The headline of the article said, Sirius Black. Black... Mm. I'll catch up to it. I'll catch up to it. We're gonna, we're gonna find this. We're gonna find this. I gotta stop doing that. It's a, an old habit that I had. But uh, clearly it's been associated with some real crap. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to do that anymore. Serious. Black as he's painted. Notorious mass murderer or innocent singing sensation. Harry had to read this first sentence several times before he was convinced that he had not misunderstood it. Since when had Sirius been a singing sensation? 
For 14 years, Sirius Black has been believed guilty of mass murder of 12 innocent muggles and one wizard. Black's audacious escape from Azkaban two years ago has led to the widest manhunt ever conducted by the Ministry of Magic. None of us have ever questioned that he deserves to be recaptured and handed back to the Dementors, but does he? Startling new evidence has recently come to light that Sirius Black may not have committed the crimes for which he was sent to Azkaban. In fact, says Dolores Perkis of 18 Kenthia Way, Little Norton, Black may not have even been present at the time of the killings. What people don't realize is that Sirius Black is a false name, says Mrs. Perkis. The man believed to be Sirius Black was actually Stubby Boardman, lead singer of the popular singing group The Hobgoblins, who retired from public life after being struck in the ear by a turnip at a concert in Little Norton Church Hall nearly 15 years ago. I recognized him the moment I saw his picture in the paper. Now, Stubby couldn't possibly have committed those crimes because on the day he was questioned, on the day in question, he happened to be enjoying a romantic candlelit dinner with me. I have written to the Minister of Magic, and I am expecting him to give Stubby, alias Sirius, a full pardon any day now. Harry finished reading and stared at the page in disbelief. Perhaps it was a joke, he thought. Perhaps the magazine often printed spoof hems. He flicked back a few pages and found the piece on Fudge. Cornelius Fudge, the Minister for Magic, denied that he had any plans to take over running the Wizarding Bank, Gringotts, when he was elected Minister of Magic five years ago. Fudge has always insisted that he wants nothing more than to cooperate peacefully with the Guardians of Our Gold. But does he? Sources close to the Minister have recently disclosed that Fudge's dearest ambition is to seize control of the Goblin Bank and the gold supplies, and he will not hesitate to force, to use force if need be. It wouldn't be the first time either, said a ministry insider. Cornelius Goblin Crusher Fudge, that's what his friends call him. If you could hear him when he thinks no one's look, no one's listening. Oh, he's always talked about goblins. The ones he's had done in. He's had them drowned. He's had them dropped off buildings. He's had them poisoned. He's had them cooked into pies. Harry did not read any further. It sounds like Infowars. <laughs> Fudge might have had many faults, but Harry found it extremely hard to imagine him ordering goblins to be cooked into pies. He flicked through the rest of the magazine. Pausing every few pages, he read, An accusation that the Tutsil Tornadoes were winning the Quidditch League by a combination of blackmail, illegal broom tampering, and torture. An interview with a wizard who claimed to have flown to the moon on a clean sweep six and brought back a bag of moon frogs to prove it and an article about ancient runes, which at least explained why Luna had been reading the Quibbler upside down. According to the magazine, if you turned the runes on their heads, they revealed a spell to turn your enemy's ears into kumquats. In fact, compared to some of the rest of the articles in the Quibbler, the suggestion that Sirius might really be the lead singer of the Hobgoblins was quite sensible. Anything good in there? asked Ron as Harry closed the magazine. Of course not, said Hermione scathingly, before Harry could answer. Kubler's rubbish. Everyone knows that. Excuse me, said Luna. Her voice had suddenly lost its dreamy quality. My father is the editor. I, oh, said Hermione, looking embarrassed. Well, it's got some interesting, I'm, I mean, it, it's quite... I'll have that back, thank you, said Luna coldly leaning forward as she snatched it out of Harry's hands. Riffling through it to page 57, she turned it resolutely upside down again and disappeared behind it. 
just as the compartment door opened for the third time. Perry looked around. He had been expecting this, but that did not make the sight of Draco Malfoy smirking at him from between his cronies, Crab and Goyle, any more enjoyable. Well, he said aggressively before Malfoy could open his mouth. Manners, Potter, I'll have to give you a detention, drawled Malfoy, whose sleek blonde hair and pointed chin were just like his father's. You see, I, unlike you, have been made a prefect, which means that I, unlike you, have the power to hand out punishments. Yeah, said Harry, but you, unlike me, are a git, so get out and leave us alone. Ron, Hermione, and Ginny, and Neville laughed. Malfoy's lip curled. Tell me, how does it feel being second best to Weasley, Potter? he asked. Shut up, Malfoy, said Hermione sharply. I seem to have touched a nerve, said Malfoy, smirking. Well, just watch yourself, Potter, because I'll be dogging your footsteps in case you step out of line. Get out, said Hermione, standing up. Sniggering, Malfoy gave Harry a last malicious look and departed, with Crabbe and Goyle lumbering along in his wake. Hermione slammed the compartment door behind them and turned to look at Harry, who knew at once that she, like him, had registered that Malfoy, what Malfoy had said and had been just as unnerved by it. Oh, chuck us another frog, said Ron, who had clearly noticed nothing. Harry could not talk freely in front of Neville and Luna. He exchanged another nervous look with Hermione, then stared out of the window. He had thought Sirius coming with him to the station was a bit of a laugh, but suddenly it seemed reckless, if not downright dangerous. Hermione had been right. Sirius should not have come. What if Mr. Malfoy had noticed the black dog and told Draco? What if he had deduced that the Weasleys, Lupin, Tonks, and Moody knew where Sirius was hiding? Or had Malfoy's use of the word dogging been a coincidence? The weather remained decided. The weather remained undecided as they traveled further and further north. Rain spattered the windows in a half-hearted way. Then the sun put up a feeble appearance before the clouds drifted over it once more. When darkness fell and lamps came on inside the carriages, Luna rolled up the quibbler, put it carefully away in her bag, and took to staring at everyone in the compartment instead. Harry was sitting with his forehead pressed against the train window, trying to get a first distant glimpse of Hogwarts, but it was a moonless night and the rain-streaked window was grimy. "'We'd better change,' said Hermione at last, and all of them opened their trunks with difficulty and pulled on their school robes. She and Ron pinned their prefect badges, badges carefully to their chests. Harry saw Ron checking his reflection in the black window. At last, the train began to slow down, and they heard the usual racket up and down as everyone scrambled to get to their luggage and pets and get assembled, ready to get off. As Ron and Hermione were supposed to supervise all this, they disappeared from the carriage again, leaving Harry and the others to look after Crookshanks and Pigwidgeon. I'll carry that owl if you like, said, her, said Luna to Harry, reaching out for Pigwidgeon as Neville stowed Trevor carefully in an inside pocket. Oh, uh, thanks, said Harry, 
handing her the cage and hoisting Hedwig's more securely into his arms. They shuffled out of the compartment, feeling the first sting of the night air on their faces as they joined the crowd in the corridor. Slowly, they moved toward the doors. Harry could smell the pine trees that lined the path down to the lake. He stepped down to the platform and looked around, listening for the familiar call of, First years, over here, first years. But it did not come. Instead, a quite different voice, a brisk female one, was calling out, First years, line up over here, please. All the first years to me. A lantern came swinging toward Harry by its light, uh, uh, and by its light he saw the prominent chin and severe haircut of Professor Grubbly Plank, the witch who had taken over Hagrid's Care of Magical Creatures lesson for a while in the previous year. Where's Hagrid? he said out loud. I don't know, said Ginny, but we'd better get out of the way. We're blocking the door. Oh, yeah. Harry and Ginny became separated as they moved off along the platform and out to the station. Jostled by the crowd, Harry squinted through the darkness for a glimpse of Hagrid. He had to be here. Harry had been relying on it. Seeing Hagrid again was one of the things he'd been looking forward to the most. But there was no sign of him. He can't have left, Harry told himself as he shuffled slowly through a narrow doorway to the road outside with the rest of the crowd. He's just got a cold or something. Harry looked around for Ron or Hermione, wanting to know what they thought about the reappearance of Professor Grubbly Plank, but neither of them was anywhere near him, so he allowed himself to be shunted off toward the rain-dark washed road, toward the dark rain-washed road outside Hogsmeade Station. Here stood the hundred or so horseless stagecoaches that always took the first-year students. <laughs> A little whack today. It's all right. Scream go wonky. Harry glanced quickly at them, turned away to keep a lookout for Ron and Hermione, then did a double take. The coaches were no longer horseless. There were creatures standing between the carriage shafts. If he had to give them a name, he supposed he would have called them horses, though there was something reptilian about them, too. They were completely fleshless, their black coats clinging to their skeletons of which every bone was visible. Their heads were dragonish, and their pupilless eyes white and staring. Wings sprouted from either... Uh, from each wither. Vast, black, leathery wings that looked as though they ought to belong to giant bats. Standing still and quiet in the gathering gloom, the creatures looked eerie and sinister. Harry could not understand why the coaches were being pulled by these horrible horses when they were quite capable of moving along by themselves. "'Where's Pig?' said Ron's voice, right behind Harry. "'That Luna girl was carrying him,' said Harry, turning quickly, eager to consult Ron about Hagrid. "'Where do you reckon Hagrid is?' "'I don't know,' said Ron, sounding worried. "'He better be okay.' A short distance away, Draco Malfoy smiled followed by a small gang of cronies, including Crab, Goyle, and Pansy Parkinson, was pushing some timid-looking second-years out of the way so that he and his friends could get a coach to themselves. Seconds later, Hermione emerged, panting from the crowd. Malfoy was being absolutely foul to a first-year back there. I swear, I'm going to report him. He's only had his badge three minutes and he's using it to bully people worse than ever. Where's Crookshanks? Ginny's got him, said Harry. Here she is. 
Ginny had just emerged from the crowd, clutching a squirming Crookshanks. Thanks, said Hermione, relieving Ginny of the cat. Come on, let's get a carriage together before they all fill up. I haven't got pig yet, Ron said, but Hermione was already heading off toward the nearest unoccupied coach. Harry remained behind with Ron. What are those things, do you reckon? He asked Ron, nodding at the horrible horses as the other students surged past them. What things? Those horse... Luna appeared, holding Pigwidgeon's cage in her arm, the tiny owls twittering excitedly as usual. Here you are, she said. He's a sweet little owl, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he's all right, said Ron gruffly. Well, come on, let's get in. What were you saying, Harry? I was saying, what are those horse things? Harry said, as he, Ron, and Luna made for the coach, in which Hermione and Ginny were already sitting. What horse things? The horse things pulling the carriages, said Harry impatiently. They were, after all, about three feet from the nearest one. It was watching them with empty white eyes. Ron, however, gave Harry a perplexed look. What are you talking about? I'm talking about... Look! He grabbed Ron's arm and wheeled him around so that he was face to face with the winged horse. Ron stared straight at it for a second, then looked back at Harry. Okay, what am I supposed to be looking at? At the... There, between the shafts. Harness to the coach, it's right there in front... But as Ron continued to look bemused, a strange thought occurred to Harry. Can't... Can't you see them? See what? Can't you see what's pulling the carriages? Ron looked seriously alarmed now. Are you feeling all right, Harry? I... yeah. Harry felt utterly bewildered. The horse was there in front of him, gleaming solidly in the dim light issuing from the station windows behind them, vapor rising from its nostrils in the chilly night air. Yet, unless Ron was faking, and it was a very feeble joke if he was, Ron could not see it at all. Shall we get in, then? said Ron uncertainly, looking at Harry as though worried about him. Uh, yeah, said Harry. Yeah, go on. It's all right, said a dreamy voice from behind Harry as Ron vanished into the coach's dark interior. You're not going mad or anything. I can see them, too. Can you? said Harry desperately, turning to Luna. He could see the bat-winged horses reflected in her wide, silvery eyes. Oh, yes, said Luna. I've been able to see them ever since my first day here. They've always pulled the carriages. Don't worry. You're just as sane as I am. Smiling faintly, she climbed into the musty interior of the carriage after Ron. Not altogether reassured, Harry followed her. Julia, it's a great quote. That is the end of chapter 10, by the way. Let's go back to the library. Yep. <laughs> Immediately, Julia pops it into chat. You're just as sane as I am. Yeah, that is a, an interesting little note and uh, not, not altogether reassuring. Hey, 
I hope everyone's having a great night so far. I know I am. I feel good. I feel good. Um, I also, I tell you what, I don't know what makes people's, what makes different text appear in different, uh, like, um, uh, different colors. So maybe we'll sort that out later. I also don't know how easy it is to see that. I know I'm on my computer screen, which is not huge, but it's definitely bigger than mobile size. So I don't know if you guys can even see that when it's on the screen. But thank you all for being here. It's great to have y'all. Brendan says, I feel Luna is the character that best represents my personality. I think a lot of people can really identify with Luna. Luna's a great one. She's an odd duck. But, uh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to blow anything too early. Anjali, welcome. Luke says, I can't imagine how Harry would have felt hearing that. Same as Luna. Yeah, there's already a discussion in the Wizarding World about, you know, is Harry Potter a sane human? And, I mean, we already know what the Dursleys think about that sort of thing, but Harry himself, uh, I think, easy to remain unconvinced. And then you start seeing things like skeleton horses. Mm. Mm. Gotta make you wonder, right? Ashton said, I always appreciated Luna. She was the oddball when she literally was completely sane with different interests than normal people. She's good at finding light in the dark. She is. She's got a, a very interesting optimism to her. Okay. I am going to take a quick break. As you all know, you guys know the system. If not, go ahead and, and uh, jump in some of the newbies with kindness. <laughs> Um, go ahead and put anything in chat you want to talk about. I'd love to talk about it once I get back. Um, I definitely got beans because guys, we are, we are crawling toward, I think we, we crossed past, um, 750. I think we're, we're like, we're, we're starting to round up near 800. Um, but, uh, there are some, there are some interesting things I'll be able to do once I hit a thousand, which includes, um, posting, uh, just, uh, like, like, um, sort of Instagram style notifications inside my feed. So instead of you guys having to like click on the video for additional information when I've got an announcement or when I'm announcing that there will be a stream tonight, um, I'm just going to be posting it like that. That way you guys can find it without having to find it and read all the information without having to like fully go open up the video, listen to eight seconds of the, the theme music, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> okay. So, I'll see you guys in about five minutes. How's that sound? Adios. Ah, we're back. <laughs> There's a transit transition. I didn't. I wanted to be nice and gentle. I didn't want it to be too jarring for you guys. So I shouted at you. Guess what? It's beans. It's beans time. I got beans. For anyone who doesn't know, this is a tradition. Um, this is a tradition to honor all of the wonderful work that y'all have done. Uh, spreading the word about the stream. It's going well, and uh, it's very exciting. And as such, I eat Birdie Bots every flavor beans. Uh, I take them blind, and um, I don't know what I'm getting. I have had some really awful ones. And I tell you what, I am, I'm finding more and more that even... 
there's even a range with the bad flavors sometimes they're bad but they're like they're kind of okay for instance the soap ones have generally not been bad but even like the sausage beans i've had one that was okay the first one was heinous um and then and then uh there's there's a there's a range in there sometimes they're not bad sometimes they're really really terrible Kirsten says, promote the stream. One million followers in the future. Let's get there. Let's make it happen. General, how's it going? Good luck with your, your Jenna Marbles makeup tutorial. I, I can't say I've watched a ton of Jenna Marbles videos. Um, but uh, Five Foot Fury from the chat loves them and, and shows them to me. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I can say she's entertaining and she seems pretty genuine. So I like her. There's, there's my Jenna Marbles. Five out of five. What's up? Uh, let's do three. All right. Are y'all ready for for the bean inning? Okay. And I've got water this time, so I'm not uh, I'm not out in a desert, a desert of terrible, awful flavor. Okay. How how we doing? We're doing good. Did you eat one? No. Okay. All right. Being brave. Bite right in. Kind of a... It tastes like a combination of caramel and popsicle stick. <laughs> <laughs> this game is extra fun because I'm terrible at identifying flavors. At least when it comes to this. I mean, it's not great, but it's not a bad one. I don't think it's designed to be one of the good ones. Well, here, let me look. What are my options? I guess maybe... No, it's not going to be banana. Maybe... That, I mean, maybe if it's a heck, heckin' toasted marshmallow, I guess. I don't know. What do you think? What do I think? Mm -hmm. Well, I know the answer, and I suppose I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. Grass. It was grass? It was grass? Grass has always had, like, a weird bell pepper thing going on. Or is that no, earthworm? No. Oh, yeah, grass is fine. I'm fine with grass. Grass works for me. <laughs> General. <laughs> oh, boy. It's going on your student ID. Good luck to you. You're going to be able to whip that one out. That's <laughs> that's going to be great. Caramel popcorn. Kirsten, yeah, caramel popcorn and grass, I think, you know, uh, clearly. same 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 sorts of things. Popsicle sticks and grass? Yeah, I guess so. All right. All right. Here we go. Julia says, Woohoo, beans! Abigail Angel has a pretty good playlist for them. Domination Gaming Channel does a pretty good job. Oh, something else. Sorry. In a, in a conversation I was not a part of. Okay. I'm ready. Uh, the Beaninning 2 Electric Beanaloo. I can see your... <laughs> <laughs> that was abrupt. Thank you. All right. Mmm, a bad one. Mmm, great. Mmm, soap? No. No? Think about it <laughs> I can think about it longer. When it comes to these, I don't know if I can think about it better. Ooh. There it is. Ah, uh, okay. I didn't get it until just right then. That is definitely pepper. Yep. 
Yep, Kirsten Stanton says, oh, that looks like pepper. Yes. Definitely it's pepper. Mm, I'm not ready yet. I'm going to get the whole thing down. I'm not going to... I'm not going to dodge out early on it. It wasn't... Not terrible. Not terrible. It's... I mean, it's rough. It, it was definitely rougher than the last pepper one I got. The last pepper one sort of washed out quick. This one, the left side of my tongue took a pretty... Pretty decent bit of uh, black pepper hit. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. This boxing? <laughs> you can't say uh-oh. Why? Don't do uh-oh. Why? Because then I'm all on edge. You can't do it. Illegal. Boy, maybe. If it was a nice toasted marshmallow, you would have snuck it. You sneak? Yep, I'm ready. All right. The triple beanium. The tribean cup. There we go. I still got black pepper in my mouth. Mmm. Mmm. It's another not good one. Don't worry. This one, I'm pretty sure I recognize. Yep, this one right here is some earthworm. Oh, it smells like it too? Yeah, when you breathe. You can smell the green pepper? Yeah. Yep, green bell pepper. Green bell pepper means earthworm. You had a good question last time, which is that, like, do they have people taste earthworms to sort of suss out the flavors of these things? My theory is that no, they don't, and they shouldn't, because, I mean, earthworm is... Maybe not the least awful one on here, but it is not the most awful. Um, <laughs> Kirsten Staten beat it on. Um, Joseph, yes, I will agree with you. The worst one. Um, no, actually, you know what? Now that I think of it, it's it comes in third. I think I'm going to hold off with those. Okay. You can have them if you want. You can have three. I'm going to eat them all. <laughs> Don't eat them all. I need them. I need those. Um, but Joseph, I think it's concerningly pear. Okay. Let me try the pear one. <laughs> what do you mean? It's concerningly pear. All right. I got it all down. So Joseph, I would say vomit for me ranks third. Um, yeah, a bad, a bad sausage one is better than, or is worse than I think your average vomit one. Uh, vomit, it actually, t I, this is going to sound super strange, but the taste is not the most awful part. It's the, it's th that it does engage the gag reflex. That's the most awful part of it. Yeah, exactly. Does this green screen out? It looks like a shiny, if I just hold it here, it's, it looks like a little shiny gold bean. A little shiny gold bean. But of course it ain't. And I've just got, here, I was having an invisible head. We'll just we'll just go with this for the rest of the stream, and I will be the the invisible masked bean man. Um, Beanman. I'm Stan Beanman of the Americans' fame. Zombie flavor Skittles. There's one per mini bag, and they are horrible. I'm not familiar with that. I'm not big on Skittles, but I think no, I'm not big on jelly beans either, to be honest. Um, I think depending on the severity, rotten egg or sausage sort of alternate for the worst ones. 
depending on how bad that particular bean is, because it has brought me an extra nice little dose of anxiety to know that sometimes even the bad beans fluctuate. Anyway, I think it's about time we got started with the next chapter, A. Eh? This is going to be chapter 11. For anyone just tuning in, uh, we just read chapter 10, on which uh, Harry and all of his friends departed from number 12, Grimald Place, and they're headed off to school couple of uh, interesting developments. Malfoy and uh, Pansy Parkinson have been made the fifth year Slytherin prefects. Malfoy wastes no time in coming over to Harry's carriage and really throwing it in his face. Um, we meet a fantastical new character, well-beloved, uh, named Luna Lovegood. Sorry, what were you saying? Huh? Did you say something? No. Oh. Okay. Say something now. <laughs> I love you too. Um, <laughs> the uh, the train ride ends um, as they sort of get to know this odd individual, Luna Lovegood, and Harry gets off the train to realize two things, two important things. First of all, Hagrid isn't there. He has been replaced once again by uh, Professor Grubbly Plank, the witch who replaced Hagrid last year um, when Harry or when Hagrid stepped down from teaching very briefly. Uh, and secondly, the carriages that were once um, not drawn by any horses are now drawn by horses, but they are these haggard, skeletal... Um, uh, scaly, strange, deathly-looking things. Um, not something Harry was anticipating by any means. So, uh, Harry's, Harry's time is changing a little bit. Times they are a-changing. I'll have to get the, uh, the chat sorted out some other way. That's right. You can just watch it float around the screen. I'll get it sorted out between streams. So... We're back. We are on our way back up to the uh, the castle um, in this carriage. The first years are off with Professor Grubbly Plank. I believe I misspoke something about that in uh, the last chapter, but that's all right. Um, let's move on, shall we? As always, if you want to talk about anything, put it in chat. I thank you so much for being here. I always have fun with this. Mm, I have fun when it works. When it's me and you guys in the book... I have a lot of fun. Okay. Chapter 11. The Sorting Hat's New Song. Harry did not want to tell the others that he and Luna were having the same hallucination, if that was what it was, so he said nothing more about the horses as he sat down inside the carriage and slammed the door behind him. Nevertheless, he could not stop watching the silhouettes of the horses moving beyond the window. Did everyone see that grubbly plank woman? asked Ginny. What's she doing back here? Hagrid can't have left, can he? I'll be quite glad if he has, said Luna. He isn't a very good teacher, is he? Yes, he is, said Harry, Ron, and Ginny angrily. Harry glared at Hermione. She cleared her throat quickly and said, Um, yes, he's very good. Well, we in Ravenclaw think he's a bit of a joke, said Luna, unfazed. You've got a rubbish sense of humor, then, said Ron. 
as the wheels below them creaked into motion. Luna did not seem perturbed by Ron's rudeness. On the contrary, she simply watched him for a while as though he were a mildly interesting television program. Rattling and swaying, the carriages moved in convoy up the road. When they passed between the tall stone pillars topped with winged boars on either side of the gates to the school grounds, Harry leaned forward to try and see whether there were any lights on in Hagrid's cabin by the Forbidden Forest. But the grounds were in complete darkness. Hogwarts Castle, however, loomed ever closer, a towering mass of turrets, jet black against the dark sky, here and there a window blazing fiery bright above them. The carriages jingled to a halt near the stone steps leading up to the oak front doors, and Harry got out of the carriage first. He turned again to look for lit windows down by the forest, but there was never there was definitely no sign of life within Hagrid's cabin. Unwillingly, because he had half hoped they would have vanished, he turned his eyes instead upon the strange skeletal creatures standing quietly in the chilly night air, their blank white eyes gleaming. Harry had once before had the experience of seeing something that Ron could not, but that had been a reflection in a mirror, something much more insubstantial than a hundred very solid-looking beasts strong enough to pull a fleet of carriages. If Luna was to be believed, the beasts had always been there, but invisible. Why, then, could Harry suddenly see them, and why could Ron not? Are you coming or what? said Ron beside him. Oh, yeah, said Harry quickly, and, joining the crowd, hurried up the stone steps toward the castle. The entrance hall was ablaze with torches and echoing with footsteps as the students crossed the flagged stone floor for the double doors on the right, leading to the great hall and the start-of-term feast. The four long house tables in the great hall were filled under the starless black ceiling, which, just like the sky, they could glimpse through the high windows which was just like the sky they could glimpse through the high windows. Candles floated in midair along the tables, illuminating the silvery ghosts who were dotted about the hall and the faces of the students talking eagerly, exchanging summer news, shouting greetings at friends from other houses, eyeing one another's new haircuts and robes. Again, Harry noticed people putting their heads together to whisper as he passed. He gritted his teeth and tried to act as though he neither noticed nor cared. Luna drifted away from them at the Ravenclaw table. The moment they reached the Gryffindors, Ginny was hailed by some of her fellow fourth-years and left to sit with them. Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Neville found seats together about halfway down the table between nearly headless Nick, the Gryffindor house ghost, and Parvati Patil and Lavender Brown, the last two of whom gave Harry an airy, over-friendly greeting that made him feel quite sure they had stopped talking about him a split second before. He had more important things to worry about, however. He was looking over the students' heads to the staff table that ran along the top wall of the hall. He's not there. Ron and Hermione scanned the staff table, too, although there was no real need. Hagrid's size made him instantly obvious in any lineup. He can't have left, said Ron, sounding slightly anxious. Of course he hasn't, said Harry firmly. You don't think he's... "'Hurt or anything, do you?' said Hermione uneasily. "'No,' said Harry at once. "'But where is he, then?' 
There was a pause. Then Harry said very quietly, so that Neville, Parvati, and Lavender could not hear, Maybe he's not back yet. You know, from his mission. The thing that he was doing over the summer for Dumbledore. Yeah, yeah, that'll be it, said Ron, sounding reassured, but Hermione bit her lip, looking up and down the staff table as though hoping for some conclusive explanation of Hagrid's absence. Who's that? she said sharply, pointing toward the middle of the staff table. Harry's eyes followed hers. They lit first upon Professor Dumbledore, sitting in his high-backed golden chair at the center of the long staff table, wearing deep purple robes scattered with silvery stars and a matching hat. Dumbledore's head was inclined toward a woman sitting next to him, who was talking into his ear. She looked, Harry thought, like somebody's maiden aunt. Squat, with short, curly, mouse-brown hair, in which she had placed a horrible pink Alice band that matched the fluffy pink cardigan she wore over her robes. Then she turned her face slightly to take a sip from her goblet, and he saw, with a shock of recognition, a pallid, toad-like face and a pair of prominent, pouchy eyes. "'It's that Umbridge woman!' "'Who?' said Hermione. "'She was at my hearing. She works for Fudge.' <laughs> "'Nice cardigan,' said Ron, smirking. "'She works for Fudge?' Hermione repeated, frowning. "'What on earth is she doing here, then?' "'I don't know.' Hermione scanned the staff table, her eyes narrowed. "'No,' she muttered. "'No, surely not!' Harry didn't understand what she was talking about, but did not ask. His attention had been caught by Professor Grubbly Plank, who had just appeared behind the staff table. She worked her way along to the very end and took her seat that ought to have been Hagrid's. That meant the first years must have crossed the lake and reached the castle, and sure enough, a few seconds later, the doors from the entrance hall opened. A long line of scared-looking first-years entered, led by Professor McGonagall, who was carrying a stool on which sat a, an ancient wizard's hat, heavily patched and darned with a wide rip near the frayed brim. The buzz of talk in the great hall faded away. The first-years lined up in front of the staff table facing the rest of the students, and Professor McGonagall placed the stool carefully in front of them, then stood back. The first year's faces glowed palely in the candlelight. A small boy in the front, in the middle of the front row looked as though he were trembling. Harry recalled, fleetingly, how terrified he had felt when he had stood there, waiting for the unknown test that would determine to which house he belonged. The whole school waited with bated breath. Then the rip near the hat's brim opened wide like a mouth, and the sorting hat burst into song. When I was old... Well, let's try that again, shall we? In times of old, when I was new and Hogwarts barely started, the founders of our noble school, though never to be parted, thought never to be parted, united by a common goal, they had the self-same yearning to make the world's best magic school and pass along their learning. Together we will build and teach, the four good friends decided, and never did they dream that they might some day be divided. For were there ever such friends anywhere as Slytherin and Gryffindor, unless it was the second pair of Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw? So how could it have gone so wrong? How could such friendships fail? 
Why, I was there, and so can tell the whole sad, sorry tale. Said Slytherin, we'll teach just those whose ancestry is purest. Said Ravenclaw, we'll teach those whose intelligence is surest. Said Ravenclaw, we'll teach all those with brave deeds to their names. Said Hufflepuff, I'll teach the lot and treat them, treat them just the same. These differences caused little strife when first they came to light, for each of the four founders had a house in which they might take only those they wanted. So, for instance, Slytherin took only pure-blood wizards of great cunning just like him. And only those of sharpest mind were taught by Ravenclaw, while the bravest and the boldest went to daring Gryffindor. Good Hufflepuff, she took the rest, and taught them all she knew. Thus the houses and their founders retained friendships firm and true. So Hogwarts worked in harmony for several happy years, but then discord crept among us, feeding on our faults and fears. The house that, like the Pillars Four, had once held up our school, now turned upon each other and divided, sought to rule. And for a while it seemed the school must meet an early end, what with dueling and with fighting and the clash of friend on friend. And at last there came a morning when old Slytherin departed. Though the fighting then died out, he left us quite downhearted. And never since the Founders' Four were whittled down to three have the houses been united, as they once were meant to be. And now the Sorting Hat is here to tell you all the score. I sort you into houses, because that is what I'm for. But this year I'll go further. Listen closely to my song. Though condemned I am to split you, still I worry that it's wrong. Though I must fulfill my duty— and must quarter every year, I still wonder whether sorting might not bring the end, I fear. Oh, know the perils, read the signs, the warning history shows, for our Hogwarts is in danger from external deadly foes, and we must unite inside her, or we'll crumble from within. I have told you, I have warned you. Let the sorting now begin. The hat became motionless once more. Applause broke out, though it was punctured, for the first time in Harry's memory, with muttering at whispers. All across the great hall, students were exchanging remarks with their neighbors, and Harry, clapping along with everyone else, knew exactly what they were talking about. Oh, branched out a bit this year, hasn't it? said Ron, eyebrows raised. Too right it has, said Harry. The Sorting Hat usually confined itself to describing the different qualities looked for by each of the four Hogwarts houses, and its own role in sorting them. Harry could not remember it ever trying to give the school advice before. I wonder if it's ever given warnings before, said Hermione, sounding slightly anxious. Oh, yes, indeed, said the nearly headless Nick knowledgeably, leaning across Neville towards her. Neville winced. It was... Very uncomfortable to have a ghost lean through you. The hat feels itself honour-bound to give the school due warning, whenever it feels. But Professor McGonagall, who was waiting to read the first year's names, was giving the whispering student the sort of look that scorches. Nearly had the snick placed a see-through finger to his lip and sat primly upright again as the muttering came to an abrupt end. With a last frowning look that swept the four house tables, Professor McGonagall lowered her eyes to her long piece of parchment and called out the first name. 
Abercrombie! Ewan! The terrified-looking boy Harry had noticed earlier stumbled forward and put the hat on his head. It was only prevented from falling right down his shoulders under his ver- uh, by his very prominent ears. The hat considered for a moment, then the rip near the brim opened again and shouted, Gryffindor! Harry clapped loudly with the rest of the Gryffindor house as Ewan Abercrombie staggered to their table and sat down, looking as though he would very much like to sink through the floor and never be looked at again. Slowly, the long line of first years thinned. In the pauses between the names and the sorting hat's decisions, Harry could hear Ron's stomach rumbling loudly. Finally, Zella, Rose, was sorted into Hufflepuff, and Professor McGonagall picked up the hat and stool and marched them away as Professor Dumbledore rose to his feet. Whatever his recent bitter feelings had been toward his headmaster, Harry was somehow soothed to see Dumbledore standing before them all. Between the absence of Hagrid and the presence of these dragonish horses, Harry had felt his return to Hogwarts, so long anticipated, was full of unexpected surprises, like jarring notes in a familiar song. But this, at least, was how it was supposed to be, their headmaster rising to greet them all before the start of term feast. "'To our newcomers!' said Dumbledore in a ringing voice, his arms stretched wide and a beaming smile on his lips. Welcome to our old hands. Welcome back. There is a time for speech-making, but this is not it. Tuck in. There was an appreciative laugh and an outbreak of applause as Dumbledore sat down neatly and threw his long beard over his shoulder so as to keep it out of the way of his plate. For food had appeared out of nowhere so that the five long tables were groaning under joints and pies and dishes of vegetables, bread and sauces, and flagons of pumpkin juice. Excellent, said Ron, with a kind of groan of longing, and he seized the nearest plate of chops and began piling them onto his plate, watching wist watched wistfully by nearly headless Nick. What were you saying before about the sorting? Hermione asked the ghost. About the hat giving warnings. Oh, yes, said Nick, who seemed glad of a reason to turn away from Ron, who was now eating roast potatoes with an almost indecent enthusiasm. Yes, I've heard the hat gives several warnings before, always at times when it detects periods of great danger for the school. And of course, always, its advice is the same. Stand together. Be strong from within. Okay, no and danger, cat, said Ron. His mouth was so full, Harry thought it was quite an achievement for him to make any noise at all. I beg your pardon, said nearly headless Nick politely, while Hermione looked revolted. Ron gave an enormous swallow and said, How can it know if the school's in danger if it's just a hat? I have no idea said nearly headless Nick. Of course, it lives in Dumbledore's office, so I dare say it picks up a few things there. And it wants all the houses to be friends, said Harry, looking over at the Slytherin table where Draco Malfoy was holding court. Fat chance. Well, now, you shouldn't take that attitude, said Nick reprovingly. 
peaceful cooperation. That's the key. We ghosts, though we belong to separate houses, maintain links of friendship. In spite of the competitiveness between Gryffindor and Slytherin, I would never dream of seeking an argument with the bloody Baron. Only because you're afraid of him, said Ron. Nearly headless Nick looked highly affronted. Afraid? I hope that I, Sir Nicholas de Mimsy Porpington, have never been guilty of cowardice in my life. The noble blood that runs in my veins. What blood? asked Ron. Surely you haven't still got... It's a figure of speech, said nearly headless Nick, now so annoyed his head was trembling ominously on his partially severed neck. I assume I am still allowed to enjoy the use of whatever words I like, even if the pleasures of eating and drinking are denied to me. I'm quite used to students poking fun at my death, I assure you. Nick, he wasn't really laughing at you, said Hermione, throwing a furious look at Ron. Unfortunately, Ron's mouth was packed to explosion again, and all he could manage was, I'm not even eating sushi, which Nick did not seem to think quite constituted an adequate apology. Rising into the air, he straightened his feathery hat and swept away from them to the other end of the table, coming to a rest between the Creevy brothers, Colin and Dennis. "'Well done, Ron!' snapped Hermione. "'Walt!' said Ron indignantly, having finally managed to swallow his food. "'I'm not allowed to ask a simple question.' "'Oh, forget it,' said Hermione irritably, and the pair of them spent the rest of the meal in huffy silence. Harry was too used to their bickering to bother much to reconcile them. He felt it was a better use of his time to eat his way steadily through his steak and kidney pie, then a large plateful of his favorite treacle tart. When all the students had finished eating, and the noise level in the hall was starting to creep upward again, Dumbledore got to his feet once more. Talking ceased immediately as all turned to face the headmaster. Harry was feeling pleasantly drowsy now. His four-poster bed was waiting somewhere above, wonderfully warm and soft. Well, now that we are all digesting another magnificent feast, I beg a few moments of your attention for the usual start of term notices, said Dumbledore. First years ought to know that the forest on the grounds is out of bounds to students. And a few of our older students ought to know that by now, too. Harry, Ron, and Hermione exchanged smirks. Mr. Filch, the caretaker, has asked me, for what he tells me is the 462nd time, to remind you that magic is not permitted in corridors between classes, nor are a number of other things, all of which can be checked on the extensive list now fastened to Mr. Filch's office door. We have had two changes in staffing this year. We are very pleased to welcome back Professor Grubbly Plank, who will be taking care of magical creatures' lessons. We are also delighted to introduce Professor Umbridge, our new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. There was a round of polite but fairly unenthusiastic applause, during which Harry, Ron, and Hermione exchanged slightly panicked looks. Dumbledore had not said for how long Grubbly Plank would be teaching. Dumbledore continued. Tryouts for the House Quidditch teams will take place on the... On... He broke off, looking inquiringly at Professor Umbridge. She was not much taller standing than sitting. There was a moment when nobody understood why Dumbledore had stopped speaking, but then Professor 
Umbridge cleared her throat. Ahem. <laughs> Don't forget, this is the Umbridge voice y'all asked for. And it became clear that she had gotten to her feet and was intending to make a speech. Dumbledore only looked taken aback for a moment. Then he sat down smartly and looked alertly at Professor Dumbledore as though he desired nothing better than to sit and listen to her talk. Other members of the staff were not quite as adept at hiding their surprise. Professor Sprout's eyebrows had disappeared into her flyaway hair, and Professor McGonagall's mouth was as thin as Harry had ever seen it. No new teacher had ever interrupted Dumbledore before. Many of the students were smirking. This woman obviously did not know how things were done at Hogwarts. Thank you, Headmaster, Professor Umbridge simpered, for those kind words of welcome. Again, I think most of you in chat have already sussed out what uh, animated character this voice is based on. But uh, if you're new, give it a shot. Her voice was high-pitched, breathy, and a little girlish, and again Harry felt a powerful rush of dislike that he could not explain to himself. All he knew was that he loathed everything about her, from her stupid voice to her fluffy pink cardigan. She gave another little throat-clearing cough, Ahem. and continued. Well, it is lovely to be back at Hogwarts, I must say, she smiled, revealing very pointed teeth, and to see such happy little faces looking up at me. Harry glanced around. None of the faces he could see looked happy. On the contrary, they all looked rather taken aback by being addressed as though they were five years old. I am very, very much looking forward to getting to know you all, and I am sure we will be very good friends. Students exchanged looks at this. Some of them were barely concealing grins. I'll be a friend as long as I don't have to borrow that cardigan, Parvati whispered to Lavender, and both of them lapsed into silent giggles. Professor Umbridge cleared her voice again. Ahem, ahem. But when she continued, some of the breathiness had vanished from her voice. She sounded much more businesslike, and her words had a dull, learned-by-heart sound to them. The Ministry of Magic has always considered the education of young witches and wizards to be of vital importance. The rare gifts to which you were born may come of nothing. If not nurtured and honed by careful instruction, the ancient skills unique to the wizarding community must be passed down the generations, lest we lose them forever. The treasure trove of magical knowledge amassed by our ancestors must be guarded, replenished, and polished by those who have been caused, called to the noble profession of teaching. Professor Umbridge paused here and made a little bow to her fellow staff members, none of whom bowed back to her. Professor Umbridge's dark eyebrows had contracted so that she looked positively hawk-like and Harry distinctly saw her exchange a significant glance with Professor Sprout as Umbridge gave another little <laughs> and went on with her speech. Every headmaster and headmistress of Hogwarts has brought something new to the weighty task of governing this historic school, and that is as it should be, for without progress we would be stagnant and decay. There again, progress for progress's sake must be discouraged, for our tried and tested traditions often require no tinkering, 
a balance then between the old and the new, between permanent and change, between tradition and innovation. Harry found his attentiveness ebbing, as though his brain was slipping in and out of tune. The quiet that always filled the hall when Dumbledore was speaking was breaking up as students put their heads together, whispering and giggling. Over on the Gryffindor, Gryffindor, blah, blah, blah. over on the Griffin, what? The first time I misspoke, I didn't even realize what I had done. Gryffindor, <laughs> the crappiest Hogwarts house. There, there, uh, their dorms are in the basement, not in the dungeons, just the basement. Oh boy. Over on the Ravenclaw table, Cho Chang was chatting animatedly with her friends. A few seats along from Cho, Luna Lovegood was looking at her quibbler again. Meanwhile, at the Hufflepuff table, Ernie McMillan was one of the few still staring at Professor Umbridge. But he was glassy-eyed, and Harry was sure he was only pretending to listen in an attempt to live up to the new prefix badge gleaming on his chest. Professor Umbridge did not seem to notice the restlessness of her audience. Harry had the impression that a full-scale riot could have broken out under her nose and she would have plowed on with her speech. The teachers, however, were still listening very attentively, and Harry seemed to be drinking in every word Umbridge spoke, though judging by her expression, they were not at all to her taste. Because some changes will be for the better, while some will come in the fullness of time to be recognized as errors of judgment. Meanwhile, some old habits will be retained, and rightly so whereas others, outmoded and outworn, must be abandoned. Let us move forward then into a new era of openness, effectiveness and accountability, intent on preserving what ought to be, the pres what ought to be preserved, perfecting what needs to be perfected, and pruning wherever we find practices that ought to be prohibited. She sat down. Dumbledore clapped. The staff followed his lead, though Harry noticed that several of them brought their hands together only once or twice before stopping. A few students joined in, but most have been taken unawares by the end of the speech, having not listened to more than a few words of it, and before they could start applauding properly, Dumbledore had stood up again. "'Thank you very much, Professor Umbridge. That was most illuminating,' he said, bowing to her. "'And now, as I was saying, Quidditch tryouts will be held. Yes, it certainly was illuminating, said Hermione in a low voice. You're not telling me that you enjoyed it, said Ron quietly, turning a glazed face toward Hermione. That was about the dullest speech I've ever heard, and I grew up with Percy. I said illuminating, not enjoyable, said Hermione. It explained a lot. Did it, said Harry in surprise. It sounded like a load of waffle to me. There was some important stuff hidden in the waffle, said Hermione grimly. Was there? said Ron blankly. How about progress for progress sake must be discouraged? How about pruning wherever we find practices that ought to be prohibited? Well, what does that mean? said Ron impatiently. I'll tell you what it means, said Hermione through gritted teeth. It means that the Ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. There was a great clattering and banging all around them. Dumbledore had obviously just dismissed the school, because everyone was standing up 
and ready to leave the hall. Hermione jumped up, looking flustered. Ron, we're supposed to show the first years where to go. Oh, yeah, said Ron, who had obviously forgotten. Hey, hey, you lot, midgets. Ron? <laughs> well, they are, they're titchy. I know, but don't call them midgets. First years? Hermione called commandingly along the table. This way, please. Nate, my man, how's it going? Let me know if my audio is peaky, because I'm worried it might be. I put a compressor on, so it should be okay. But yeah, let me know. I hope you're doing great, by the way. A group of new students walked shyly up the gap between the Gryffindor and Hufflepuff tables, all of them trying hard not to lead the group. They did indeed seem very small. Harry was sure he had not appeared that young when he had arrived here. He grinned at them. A blonde boy next to Ewan Abercrombie looked petrified. He nudged Ewan and whispered something in his ear. Ewan Abercrombie looked equally frightened and stole a horrified look at Harry, who felt the grin slide off his face like stink zap. I'll see you later, he said dully to Ron and Hermione, and he made his way out of the Great Hall alone, doing everything he could to ignore the whispering, the staring and the pointing as he passed. He kept his eyes fixed ahead as he wove his way through the crowd to the entrance hall. Then he hurried up the marble staircase took a couple of concealed shortcuts, and soon left most of the crowds behind. Harry had been stupid not to expect this. He thought angrily as he walked through the much emptier upstairs corridors. Of course everyone was staring at him. He had emerged from the Triwizard Maze two months previously, clutching the dead body of a fellow student, and claiming to have seen Lord Voldemort return to power. There had not been time last term to explain himself before they'd all gone home, even if he had felt up to giving the school a detailed account of the terrible events in that graveyard. Harry had reached the end of the corridor to the Gryffindor common room and come to a halt in front of the portrait of the fat lady before realizing he did not know the new password. Um, he said glumly staring up at the fat lady who smoothed the folds of her pink satin dress and looked sternly back at him. "'No password, no entrance,' she said loftily. "'Harry, I know it!' someone panted behind him, and he turned to see Neville jogging toward him. "'Guess what it is? I'm actually going to be able to remember it for once!' He waved the stunted little cactus he had shown them on the train. "'Bibulous Bibbletonia!' "'Correct,' said the fat lady, and her portrait swung open toward them like a door, revealing a circular hole in the wall behind, through which Harry and Neville now climbed. The Gryffindor common room looked as welcome as ever. A cozy circular tower room full of dilapidated squashy armchairs and rickety old tables. A fire was crackling merrily in the grate, and a few people were warming their hands up by it before going to their dormitories. On the other side of the room... Fred and George Weasley were pinning up something on the notice board. Harry waved goodnight to them and headed straight for the boys' dormitories. He was not in much of a mood for talking at the moment. Neville followed him. Dean Thomas and Seamus Finnegan had reached their dormitory first and were in the process of covering the walls beside their beds with posters and photographs. They had been talking as Harry pushed the door open, but stopped abruptly the moment they saw him. Harry wondered whether they had been talking about him, and then whether he was being paranoid. 
Hi, he said, moving across to his own trunk and opening it. Hi, Harry, said Dean, who was putting on a pair of pajamas with West Ham colors. You have a good holiday? <laughs> good grief. The most jumbled cockney. Good holiday? Not bad, muttered Harry, as a true account of his holiday would have taken most of the night to relate, and he could not face it. You? Yeah, it was all right, chuckled Dean. Better than Seamus's anyway. He was just telling me. Why, what happened, Seamus? Neville asked as he placed his mimbulous mimbletonia tenderly on his bedside cabinet. Seamus did not answer immediately. He was making rather a meal of ensuring that his poster of the Kenmare Kestrel's Quidditch team was quite straight. Then he said, with his back still turned to Harry, my mum didn't want me to come back. What? said Harry, pausing in the act of pulling off his robes. She didn't want me to come back to Hogwarts. Seamus turned away from his poster and pulled his own pajamas out of the trunk, still not looking at Harry. But why? Had, said Harry, astounded. He knew that Seamus's mother was a witch and could not understand, therefore, why she would have come over so Dursley-ish. Seamus did not answer until he had finished buttoning his pajamas. Well, he said in a measured voice, I suppose because of you. What do you mean? said Harry quickly. His heart was beating rather fast. He felt vaguely as though something was closing in on him. Well, said Seamus again, still avoiding Harry's eye. She... Well... It's not just you, it's Dumbledore, too. She believes the Daily Prophet, said Harry. She thinks I'm a liar and Dumbledore's an old fool. Seamus looked up at him. Yeah, something like that. Harry said nothing. He threw his wand down onto his bedside table, pulled off his robes, stuffed them angrily into his trunk, and pulled on his pajamas. He was sick of it. Sick of being the person who was stared at and talked about all the time. If any of them knew, if any of them had the faintest idea what it felt like to be the one that all of these things happened to, Mrs. Finnegan had no idea. Stupid woman, he thought savagely. He got into bed and made to pull the hangings closed around him, but before he could do so, Seamus said, Look, what did happen that night when, you know, when, with Cedric Diggory and all. Seamus sounded nervous and eager at the same time. Dean, who had been bending over his trunk trying to retrieve a slipper, went oddly still, and Harry knew he was listening hard. "'What are you asking me for?' Harry retorted. "'Just read the Daily Prophet like your mother, why don't you? That'll tell you all you need to know.' "'Don't you have a go at my mother?' Seamus snapped. "'I'll have a go at anyone who calls me a liar,' said Harry. "'Don't you talk to me like that!' "'I'll talk to you how I want,' said Harry, his temper rising so fast he snatched his wand back from his bedside table. "'If you've got a problem sharing a dormitory with me, go and ask McGonagall if you can be moved. Stop your mummy worrying.' "'You leave my mother out of this, Potter!' "'What's going on?' Ron had appeared in the doorway. His wide eyes travelled from Harry, who was kneeling on his bed with his wand pointing at Seamus, to Seamus, who was standing there with his fists raised. "'He's having a go at my mother!' Seamus yelled. What? said Ron. Harry wouldn't do that. 
We've met your mother, we liked her. That's before she stopped believing every word the stinking daily prophet writes about me, said Harry at the top of his voice. Oh, said Ron, comprehension dawning across his freckled face. Oh, right. Do you know what? said Seamus heatedly, casting Harry a venomous look. He's right. I don't want to share a dormitory with him anymore. He's a madman. That's out of order, Seamus, said Ron, whose ears started to glow red. Always a danger sign. Out of order, am I? shouted Seamus, who, in contrast to Ron, was tuning paler. You believe all the rubbish that he's come out with about you-know-who? Do you? You reckon he's telling the truth? Yeah, I do, said Ron angrily. Well, then you're mad too, said Seamus in disgust. Yeah, well, unfortunately for you, pal, I'm also a prefect, said Ron, jabbing himself in the chest with a finger. So, unless you want detention, watch your mouth. Seamus looked for a few seconds as though detention would be a reasonable price to pay to say what was going through his mind. But with a noise of contempt, he turned on his heel, vaulted into bed, and pulled the hangings shut with such violence they were ripped from the bed and fell in a dusty pile to the floor. Ron glared at Seamus, then looked at Dean and Neville. "'Anyone else's parents got a problem with Harry?' he said aggressively. "'My parents are muggles, mate,' said Dean, shrugging. "'They don't know nothing about those deaths at Hogwarts, because I'm not stupid enough to tell them.' "'You don't know my mother. She'll weasel it out of anyone,' Seamus snapped at him. "'Anyway, your parents don't get the Daily Prophet.' They don't know our headmaster's been sacked from the Wizen Gamut and the International Confederation of Wizards because he's losing his marbles. But Grad says that's rubbish, piped up Neville. She says it's the Daily Prophet that's going downhill, not Dumbledore. She cancelled our subscription. We believe Harry, said Neville simply. He climbed into bed and pulled his covers up to his chin, looking owlishly over them at Seamus. My Grad always said that you though who would come back one day. She says if Dumbledore says he's back, he's back. Harry felt a rush of gratitude toward Neville. Nobody else said anything. Seamus got out his wand, repaired the bed hangings, and vanished behind them. Dean got into bed, rolled over, and fell silent. Neville, who appeared to have nothing more to say to either, was gazing fondly at his moonlit cactus. Harry lay back on his pillows while Ron bustled around the next bed, putting his things away. He felt shaken by the argument with Seamus, who he had almost, whom he had always liked very much. How many more people were going to suggest that he was lying, or unhinged? Had Dumbledore suffered like this all summer? At, as first the Wizengamot and the International Confederation of Wizards had thrown him from their ranks? Was it anger at Harry, perhaps, that had stopped Dumbledore from getting in touch with him for months? The two of them were in this together, after all. Dumbledore had believed Harry, announced his version of events to the whole school and then to the wider wizarding community. Anyone who thought Harry was a liar had to think that Dumbledore was, too, or else that Dumbledore had been hoodwinked. They'll know we're right in the end, Harry thought miserably. As, Harry, as Ron got into bed and extinguished the last candle in the dormitory. But he wondered how many more attacks like Seamus's he would have to endure before that time came. Okay, now you can take off. Bye, Anjali. <laughs> That's the end of the chapter. 
that's the end of uh, book five, chapter 11. And it's kicking off for Harry. A new year, new uh, new disagreements with other students, but uh, this time, some of them from within his own house. You don't like to see that, especially after uh, the Sorting Hat. I felt I felt the Sorting Hat was very clear. I felt I felt the Sorting Hat was very clear about his thoughts on this. Unity, unity. Well. Sometimes things do get worse before they get better. But never an excuse to stop trying to make things better. So, chat, let me talk to you real quick. <laughs> Anjali, I'll see you later. Ashlyn says, Tonight was great. My cat also seemed to enjoy it. She stayed on my lap the whole stream. Fantastic. Where are our cats at? Let me see if they're any around. There's one on the bed. Talk about cats. There's one on the bed. She's just she's lollygagging. That's what she does for the most part. One of them prowls, and the other one uh, reclines. Yeah, Jeff. I hope you're. Uh, <laughs> I hope you're recovering all right. <laughs> what are we? What? Which one are we talking here? Witches of East End. Hmm. I see. I scrolled a decent bit of the way up. I think I, I'm back in the uh, the break. Julia says I'm going on a retreat tomorrow. What's what's the what's the sort of central focus? Is it like a work retreat or um, what's the sitch there? And is it is there a a particular headline detail to it? Is it like a, I guess at this time of year it probably isn't going to be. A lake or anything like that. I don't know. I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. So, so General's talking here about uh, Seamus's unusually strong reaction. I think uh, she's probably right here. I do think Seamus likely was just curious, but unfortunately, delivery is very important. Uh, you know, as as much as humans would like to think that they can take the world in very logically, uh, oftentimes just the way that things are delivered and timing is uh, as important, sometimes more important than the vocabulary used. So even if he was being very genuine and asked a question that didn't have anything, um, anything, you know, sinister about it, uh, Harry was already wrapped up. And so the timing was terrible. Um, and uh, that leaves Harry, you know, Harry, who we've seen is uh, kind of reactive. He is a bit rageful, if we're honest. Um, not not the best way to, to launch this conversation with Harry. Something that uh, it might help when dealing with people. It, it, it will be difficult to have a um, solid conversation with them immediately after one has uh, just sort of called their honesty into question or anything else about their character. Um, so, something to be aware of. If you're going to call someone a liar, or at least say, I believe people when they call you a liar, generally not the best way to start a conversation. Not a good way to uh, to have that conversation go well. <laughs> Brandon Mercer says, Umbridge can kick rocks. 
And Julia says, actually, there will be a lake and mountains. Enjoy your trip. I couldn't agree more. I hope the trip goes great. I hope uh, I hope it's relaxing or exciting. One of the two. I hope you all have a great week, by the way. By the way. And uh, I'm planning to be back on track for uh, The Great Gatsby on Tuesday. Uh, I'm planning to continue to be on this track next Thursday for... Uh, for um... Actually, wait a second. Okay, hold on now. Nope. Next Thursday, we're still good. So, Thursday the 10th. Um, I will say that Thursday the 17th is very possible that I, I, I will likely be taking that one off. So, next week, we'll be back here for Harry Potter. The weekend after that, um, or the, the week after that, so Thursday the 17th, I will likely be taking that Thursday off in preparation for my travels. Um just to make sure I've got everything in order because it's a pretty important trip for me. Um, I hope that uh, I hope that 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 absence won't leave your guys' hearts cold and dead. Don't worry, we'll be back. <laughs> it was interesting streaming from uh, my hometown a while ago. Uh, it was fun to have Rachel on. It was a lot of fun, um, and I would love to do more guest voices. The the the. Um, practical parts of that do make it somewhat difficult but i would certainly enjoy it a lot maybe i could sort out a way to to do it on like a call-in basis maybe i could do it remotely that would be kind of nice if i could if i could jump somebody in via via um like a discord call that might work that might work hmm hmm so there's, there's a specific person that uh would i think um be great as some additional voices for this thing so now that now that i'm thinking maybe we could do it remotely hmm and i've got my old mic that i could land in hmm <laughs> oh boy no joseph don't be cold and dead don't worry it'll be all right Uh, N says extremely cold without this Thursday fix. I'm sorry. By the way, whoever said that, uh, uh, you were looking for, you, you looked forward to this during your week as much as, um, you looked forward to the TV that you're following. That sounds awesome. That's, that's some great feedback. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. It's exciting. It's exciting. And, uh, I'm, I'm happy with some of the developments that we've had. I'm happy that I got to run sort of the additional sound experiment and I'm happy that I learned from it. And I'm happy that eventually when I try to sort of bring it back, um, specifically the, the sound effects, not so much the music, maybe just as like brief tags in between reading, um, you know, like little, little 15 second stings between. We're going to be reunited, Nate. Reunited and it feels so good. I'm definitely looking forward to that. There's not going to be much time to do much, unfortunately. Much extra, but eh. Eh. That's right. We do need to get back on our Friday jams, Nate. Anyway. Well, I hope everyone has a fantastic week. I am definitely going to shut the stream down in the next four minutes. But, uh, 
I appreciate you guys all being here. I appreciate everyone spreading the word about this. Um, as usual, I want to let you guys know. Um, I appreciate so much anyone who tells friends, uh, even like teachers or classmates, um, or if you've got kids, sharing it with them. Um, just sharing this channel around with anyone that you think would enjoy either just something to listen to in their time off, um, something, uh, people who enjoy Harry Potter, people who enjoy audiobooks. Um, if you know anybody like that, go ahead and, and uh, let people know about this thing and uh, bring them in. Bring them in. Let's get them in here. <laughs> that way we can all uh, get, get them weirded out with the bean time and all of those things. Um, Jeff says, I think we're all Sam addicts. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I try not to to limit your access to me, but it's only so much time in a week I can be on stream. That said, if you want to continue the discussion afterward, I'll be in the Discord. You can find that link maybe in the description for this video. I'll have to check um, because this the, the 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 uploads on this are a little strange right now um, as far as titling goes. So it might be another twenty four hours, maybe even forty eight before the title and everything is correct but uh you can definitely find it i'm going to put it in the the description for my like my channel info um so you can head over to the discord if you're not already a part of it um it's so funny to hear all the the different people and where they come from and and the people like what kinds of people join up and uh what kinds of people watch the channel because it's a very wide swath of response that i get from this thing but like 99% positive feedback, which is amazing. I don't know if I've gotten 99% positive feedback on anything ever, <laughs> other than tests. But it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling to be able to participate in this, and it's an amazing feeling to have you guys want to participate as well. You know, like I, like, you know, Rachel knows, of course, um, and uh, a number of other people know. Um, this channel was at like, I don't know, 15 subscribers, between 15 and 17 subscribers for I think the first year that I did this. And then in the, let's see, I think it'll be since about January. January, February, like uh, since this winter, essentially, a year after I first started it, um, it has started to take off a bit. So... I really appreciate you guys. I appreciate you guys for being here and for uh, being really open about how much you enjoy it and for all of the, the the super positive, encouraging feedback you've given me. It's just energy in the tank. It's just energy in the in this sidecar tank. We're going to keep rolling. Let's do this. Keep rolling. And we will keep rolling next week. I hope you all have a fantastic one. I'll be in the Discord for a little while if you want to keep chatting. But uh, thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a wonderful night, a wonderful week. And uh, thank you so much for all the things that you are out in the world doing. Remember, unity. Listen to the listen to this sorting hat. Now is a time when we could use that message. Absolutely. Unity. I'll see you later.